doing? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, we'll get to this here in just a few minutes, but I have got um, some pretty big things that happened in the last couple of weeks uh, with some guys that I know really, really well and think very highly of. And I just uh, want to let the church know that um, here uh, is adding, going to be adding one to the family very soon uh, as he got engaged. Uh, and then, I don't know if you know yet, but as of last night, Mr. Franklin uh, Hang in the back that plays keys for us um, week in and week out and does got engaged as well. And so proud of you guys. Love y'all. Um, and just thought that is awesome. And so, um, and God's moving. God is moving. And we will grow this. Just joking. Um, uh, so if you're not engaged, I've got a list of ladies I can to, man. Um, if, if you let, let's jump in Luke chapter 1 I'm going to ask if you would pray with me and then we'll get there here here shortly um, Father we love you uh, again Jesus thank you so much uh, for your word God thank you so much for your church thank you so much for your presence God thank you so much uh, for uh, hope and so Father I pray Lord Jesus this morning that you would move and speak uh, in a mighty way God make uh, your presence known uh, God do whatever you see fit in, in this place this morning for your glory for your good uh, for your honor. And so, Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we're going to look at. God, use it in a mighty way to change and shape us into the image of your son. Jesus, we need you. I need you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Christmas, there's a lot of just thoughts that kind of come, uh, come with that idea. And so, uh, I can remember me uh, uh, waiting for Christmas morning to get here. I as a child, uh, laying in my bed, trying my best to go to sleep, trying my best to uh, uh, drift off. So, because the sooner I went to sleep, the sooner I could run in and I could get those presents, right? Because as a kid, that's what it's about. Like, I can remember uh, all of those, those memories of just, man, waiting and waiting and waiting to, to get to that tree and be able to rip open those presents. Like, I can even remember there's vivid memories of me whenever I would uh, finally drift off and only sleep for a few moments because the excitement was so uh, in me. And you know me, I'm a little antsy and, and ADD-ish as it is. And so that doesn't help with, you know, Christmas is coming. And so I can remember waking up one, one Christmas morning. Um, it was one of those things I ran in mom and dad's room and I didn't want to scare him too bad, which I hear this is always worse than to scare him to bed. Mom, 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 mom. And she, and she like freaks out and is like, what, honey, what? I said, he came, they're here. I knew I was a good boy. And so we would run in and we'd get to get everybody up. And I, I can just remember all the anticipation and excitement. And so as I was looking at the story, as I was reading through the story, I mean, can you imagine the dynamic of that first Christmas? Can you imagine what it would have been like? You've got the Jewish people, they're, they're waiting for the Messiah. He was the promised one, the, the one that God had talked about and had promised would come and rescue and save his people. And so they were waiting and waiting and waiting. See, we know December 25th, right? We know what happens December 25th. We celebrate it. We have the tree up. We have the house decorated. We're tucked in all of the And the hope is we really know the reason why we celebrate it, right, is, is for birth that's when we celebrate the birth of of the savior and so we know it's coming every year for these people and waiting generation after generation after generation and in this culture in this day many have started to believe that it was just some sort of a myth some sort of a fable fairy tale the group of people that hadn't given up 
a group of people that, that, that pressed in. There was two people. I want to look at them this morning. Very relevant for us as we look at this story. Because at some point in your Christian life, question why? Why? The why question. Why am I doing this? Why am I serving? Why am I giving my life away? Why am I believing? Why do I believe in Jesus? Why do I believe in this whole thing? Question of why am I not there yet? Why, why haven't I arrived to wherever mature? Like, why, why am I not cheating on my spouse? Or why am I not obeying? Or why am I still here in this moment, in this situation? Why am I continuing day after day after day to live my life as if there's something to this Bible? That why question is going to creep in. And the thought may come, am I just following this because my parents told me or because a pastor stood on a stage and opened up the word and just said it? And maybe you're following it because there's this fear if you abandon if you disconnect from it, things may not go well for you. Things may start to go downhill. And so some point in your experience, some point in your walk, you will look around and you will say, why am I doing this? Why am I part of this? Why do I believe this way? And on that day, you'll have to test your faith. You will have to test your own faith. Prove your own And so let's look at the scriptures this morning. Luke chapter 1, 1-5. It says this. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And his name was Elizabeth. So what we know about these two is that they come from a priestly lineage. They had heard about the promises. They had seen faith modeled and lived out. They, they knew of the promises of God that he had proclaimed. Verse they were both righteous before God. And my question when I see this is how? How in the world are they righteous before God? Jesus hasn't been born yet. Right? For us today, our righteousness is found not in our acts, not in our works, but our righteousness is found in our faith in Christ. What Christ has done, he covers us with, with his righteousness, with his holiness. And in this moment, in this story, they're declared righteous before God, but Jesus hasn't died for sin yet. So church, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? How can this, how can this happen? We know, we know how this thing works. So how is this the reality? So I always want to point to those things that may be a little bit difficult, those things that, that may not make sense. And I want us to try to uh, rest kind of stuff because this is what helps test our faith. This is what helps prove it all the more. This is what helps us grow and mature. So is this something they're doing? Something they've done on their own? I mean, how are they righteous before God? So I'm so happy you asked that because the scripture continues and it's going to let us know. So they both were righteous before God, verse 6, as it continues. It says, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So what we see here is that they're living by faith. They are living by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the things that God had said in the past. They are trusting and believing God for who he is and the instruction that he has given. See, when it says here that they are walking in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, they're walking, they're trusting, they're believing. They're following God in those areas in the things that he has said. They're living out and believing those promises, those promises that were given a thousand years before this. I mean, is that not a Trust God. Thousands of years before this, they're still walking. 
still waiting, still trusting, still believing God in his word. So God promised. And the thing about God is, is, is our world doesn't work that way, does it? We hear God say something or we believe God for something or we read it in his word and it should already happen, right? I mean, we live in a world now where we can jump online and we can to us in, in two days free shipping. Why can't God do the same thing, right? I mean, for goodness sakes, God, I've been praying about this thing for two days. Why haven't you moved? Why haven't you done something? And besides that, you're all knowing, you're aware of everything. You knew in my heart, you knew I was going to come into I prayed about it, and it's been two days, and I've got nothing from you. Amazon's better than you. What's the deal? And so that's just the world we live in, isn't it? This right now, expect everything now. And these two have been living for thousands or have been aware of God's promises that's been made thousands of years ago. And they still walk in the reality of the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. Verse 7 says this. It says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. And so it's just giving a description of the two that, that, we're, gonna be, that we're talking about here, kind of, kind of their condition, where they're at. And so they're being obedient, doing what they're supposed to be doing, following the Lord. And, and hear me, as believers, obedience is not based upon what we think, what we want. Our obedience has to be uh, based upon and lived out in the reality of truth. And truth is God's word. Truth is the creator of all things who has spoken. We hear and we listen and we follow. And so I think it's pertinent for this morning that we, we dive in for a moment or we home in and we talk about obedience. Because obedience seems to be something that has left the church. Obedience is something that seems to be relative to the circumstance or situation that we're in or kind of relative to what we're facing or what we're going through. And there's, there's no way that God would have meant for me to be obedient in this moment, in this situation, in 2019. I mean, this is an old book that we look at, an old book that we read. There's no way that God would want me to act that way or react that way or live that way. And so I think it's important that we just even define what obedience is. Because if God has said it, if God has proclaimed it, if God expects it from us, it's not one of those things whether we get an opinion of it or not. Whether we get to add to it or, or interpret it a different way. No, if God says it, that settles it. Hear me, there are things in the scriptures I don't like. I'm, I'm just like everybody else. There are things in the scriptures that, that, that I don't care for. I found out. Not once did God ever ask me my opinion on it. Nor does he ask my opinion on it. I mean, I struggle and I flounder and I flounder as it is. I mean, can you imagine if you would like give me a day to just to add some add-ons into the scriptures? Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine if he said, okay, here's blank slate, here's a pen, uh, you, you've, got, you've, got, you've got an hour, whatever additions you see, you see necessary, go for it. I mean, can you imagine the mess that we would make? Can you imagine the, the turmoil that would come as a result of that? God doesn't need help. God doesn't need our help. No, God has said it, he has spoken it, and that, and that's, that settles it. So obedience for us, what is Obedience. And I think one of the, the neatest little definitions that I've ever heard, one of the simplest forms of what obedience means, it simply means this. It means all the way, right away, with a happy heart. So when God talks about obedience, when we see obedience in the scripture, we need to be obedient to his commands, what he has said. We need to do it, do it all the way. We need to do it to completion. We need to do it to fulfillment of whatever the, obedience, the act of obedience needs to be. It needs to be completed. And then time frame, the time frame matters. All the way, right away. Obedience is something that's immediate. I mean, those of you that got kids, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, Brody, can you pick that up? 
Hey, Brody, pick it up. Hey, Brody, put your shoes here. Brody, Brody, when you come in, put your shoes there. Hey, Brody, can you go get your shoes? Yeah, Dad. Three days later, they're sitting there. Is that obedience? No. No. And, and taking them and sitting them next to the, to the basket that they go in, is that obedience? No, because that's not put up. Put up is in the basket. Put up uh, is immediate. That's obedience. The final little part of the definition of obedience that really gets us is, is with a happy heart. And so what I've learned in scriptures is simply this, is that motive matters. The way we follow out that obedience, the way that we, we live out and do what Jesus tells us to do, that motive matters, the heart matters. Why we do what we do, why we react the way we react, the things that we do, it matters. Our motive and our heart in doing what we do the way we do, it matters. And so that's the definition of obedience. And so that's the definition that we try to bring into our family uh, as we, as we uh, raise our boys and as we love on our boys. And so uh, for us in our family right now, we're experiencing some growing pains with our youngest, with our little guy right now. And um, I feel like the terrible twos have hit at four. Any parents, can we relate to that? Like the terrible, it just kind of skipped him. And it's like, oh, we're gonna hang out for three too. He does good. Now, now we're four. It's like terrible twos of four. What is going on? I mean, this has been a crazy week for us. Like I pick him up from school one day, little Bennett. I this guy. I pick him up from school one day and we're going home and he wanted to t uh, take a little detour around to the McDonald's. Mama had dinner ready. We're doing this thing and we, we're going to get home and it's something that he likes. And this guy said, no. And so he cries from daycare all the way to home. The whole way. And he, he knows. Him. He's four. He should know. We go this way every day. Daddy's not turning around, big boy. We're going this way. No McDonald's. So he fusses the whole way. He whined. When we get home from the day, this is crazy. When we get home from the day, uh, we're there and we're preparing. We're finishing up some of the dinner stuff. And, and he's wanting something or he's doing something. I said, just a minute, buddy. Just a minute wasn't fast enough for him. So he comes over and he kicks me in the leg. Uh-huh. Uh now, a four-year kick is not like a, it's not a big deal kick. But it's a big deal to dad. But we don't act that way in the Miller house. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's never seen me kick mama. One, because I know better. You know what I'm saying? So it's not modeled behavior in the home, just seeping out. That's not what this is. This is just the wickedness of his little heart rising to the surface because he didn't get his way in enough time. And so what does dad do? Dad handles the business, you know what I'm saying? And so I don't know where you're at, where you fall in the discipline thing, but, but for me, we spank in our home. And so you can eat about that later. But, but we discipline their little psyche. Their little psyche will be fine. I'm a product of spankings and I'm, well, I'm not gonna ask you if I'm okay. But anyway, so... So, so I take him to the bedroom, I spank, and I set him on the bed. I said, don't you, you sit here. Don't you come, and I don't know why he sits there. He won't listen to anything else, but he will sit there and not come out of the room. I don't know if it's because it's crazy dad now in this moment, and like we're disciplined, and we're in that, that state, I don't know, but he sits there, and he cries, and he fusses, and he finally gets to the end of that. Like, then he starts screaming for dad, and we have the little talk. I get down on my knee and I start to talk to him and share with him. Buddy, we don't do that. I heard you. I was going to get to it. You've got to wait. Daddy's in the middle of something. And so after that, he's, he's fine. And then he just continues to be a tear that evening. And so, and so we just, we just we wor we're working through this. We're teaching obedience. We're trying to model obedience and help him get to that area of obedience. Well, how does he know what to, to, to be obedient to? It's because Meredith and I, we've set certain rules in our house. There's certain expectations that we have for our boys. There's a certain way to live and be as a miller. Inside the home, this is how we do it. Outside the home, this is how we do it. And we want you to be obedient. And listen, we're not like a, we're not like a long list. Like the Ten Commandments are more than what we have in our home. 
the Ten Commandments. We're going to try to live those out. But, but the rules for our home is, is simply this. Have fun. Be safe. We want to have as much fun as we possibly can. And we want to be safe while we're doing it. And we want to listen to mom and dad. I mean, that, that's pretty much, does it not, that pretty much sums up the rules in the Miller house. Kicking is against one of those rules because that's not, not even a little bit. And so, so as I was thinking, as I was looking, I mean, I mean, how do we know as believers what to obey? What do we follow? What do we obey? What do we as the people of God do? And church, hear me, it's his word. We get in his word. We spend time in his word. We read. We spend time with him. We listen to what he has to say through his word, through prayer. And then we live out and we do what he says. Like, you know, there's certain things that we just don't need to talk about. We just need to do. Telling somebody about Jesus. You don't need to pray about telling somebody about Jesus. You just do it. You just share. You engage. There's certain things that we don't have to try to weasel our way out of with a prayer. No, we be obedient and do what Christ has told us to do. Live out and be what he has said. We be obedient. We always do what he says. I don't what I've come to the realization of is me standing on a stage two times a week telling you what he says nearly enough. You tracking? Me standing on a stage proclaiming God's word to you two times a week doesn't cut it. You will be malnourished and you will struggle to obey. You will struggle to follow. You will struggle to live out joy. You will struggle immensely if this is all you get when it comes to God's word and his presence. You have got to be in the word on your own. You've got to know what he says. You've got to walk out what he says. You've got to grow in what he, you need to wrestle with what he says. You need to, to, to hear and to seek out what he has said. And the way that we do that is through his word, through prayer, through other believers. Church, my fear is that our appetites left us. Like, like, I don't know, again, I've got a lot of kid issues, or kid, not issues, <laughs> I do got kid issues, but I've got a lot of, uh, uh, just, uh, I guess, stories of, of kids, and I guess God just, maybe that's where I'm at right now, and he just relays things like this to me, but it's like this, like, our boys would love a candy bar before dinner. You know what happens when they eat that candy bar before dinner? The cool, fun dad that I am, I've done that. It doesn't end well for me, and so I let him do that, I'm like, just half today, like, see, I'm smart, I'm thinking, I'm not going to give him a whole for dinner, that's crazy. So I give them half of a candy bar, they eat it, but what happens? They don't eat dinner. Why? Because they filled up on junk. I think the same thing's happening in the church. We're so quick to fill up on junk and not delve into the word of God and feast on the buffet that God has laid before us in his word. So we've got to press in. We've got to know what God said. We've got to dive in and seek out. And so this is what we see happening in Zechariah they're doing they're being faithful they're walking in the promises of God and that promise was based upon a promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 where God says I will make you a great nation I will bless you I will make your name great you'll be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you all people will be blessed through you is what what God tells Abraham so just a little history about what's happening you've got Abraham who had a son who had a son who had a bunch of sons and so they all end up moving to Egypt and they become the nation of Israel. That's what we know about them. And eventually they make their way all the way back to the promised land where they become a, a kingdom and things really start to take off. Things start to be very, very good. It looked like that now was the time that God was going to bless all the peoples of the earth through this lineage of Abraham. Finally, God's going to move and do what he said. And you have some of these, this just golden age of Israel. Things are looking good. 
really good. But aren't things quick to fall apart? And so what happens? The nation ends up splitting. There's wars. You have some good kings and you have some really bad kings. Israel ends up getting conquered, occupied, and they even eventually get exiled. And so this idea of the entire world being blessed through this seed, through this lineage, seemed absolutely crazy. And if you think that's bad, it just continues to get worse because in 65 BC, you have Pompey the Great. He's this Roman general. What he does is he marches into Jerusalem. He pushes past the temple guards and the priests, and he marches right into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Jews believe this is where God dwelled. This is where his presence was. This is where God is at. And only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. And so the Jews believe that if you go in there, in the Holy of Holies, you go in unannounced, uninvited, God would strike you dead. And so you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. He goes in the Holy of Holies, Pompeii, Holy of Holies, and nothing happens to him. What do you think that's going to do? Word's going to spread. It's going to get out. If this general had went in uninvited, unannounced, nothing happens to him. And so the implications are clear, right? Jupiter, the God of the Romans, he's got to be more powerful than Yahweh, got to be more powerful than God, the God of Israel. And so when all of this is happening and taking place, we've got Zachariah as a young boy seeing all of this unfold. And his father, his father would have been priest at the time. But God did something. Even in the midst of that chaos and craziness where it appears God is silent and does nothing in this moment where there's such blatant blasphemy and offense to God's great name, God still calls Zechariah and he ends up going into the priesthood and he serves God his whole life. Even in that, he presses through. And there's something that's about to take place that's, that's gonna happen, that's gonna result in the fulfillment of God's promise. Let's keep reading Luke 1, 8. It says this. It says, so it was that while he was serving, this is Zechariah, as he was serving priests before God in the order of his division, according to the customs of the priesthood, his lot failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And so he gets chosen. This is a very uh, prestigious, very sacred thing that's about to happen. And he gets chosen to go into the Holy of Holies. Luke 1, 10 says, And the whole multitude of the people, they were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was trouble, troubled and he fell upon, and fear fell upon him. And so this is the response that we see over and over and over in the Scriptures. Not a picture of a sweet naked baby flying around and everybody's like, oh, they're cute. Look, God's awesome. No, it's fear and honor and, 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 and that's what takes place. Reverence. That's what we see in the scriptures whenever, whenever God shows up or a representation of God or a representative of God. Whenever an angel shows up, that's, that's, what, that's the response that, that man has when they see something holy and righteous representing God. I just think we need to chat for a moment because there's a lot of just junk out there. There's a lot of stuff out there that tries to draw us away and it's, and it's maybe cute, nice little things that we say or we get hung up on that, that's really a detrimental to the faith. You want to talk about testing and proving your faith? We need to know what the scripture says. And there's all kinds of things out there that draws us away. Like all the 30, uh, 30 minutes in heaven nonsense or I went to hell for a while nonsense, all that type of stuff. And, and maybe they did, I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. I've never read the books. I don't know. I don't know. But I do want to tell you this, church, because I love you enough and you need to know truth. If heaven is about you or heaven is about you seeing grandpappy, you may be gravely mistaken of where you were at. 
Because what I know of the scriptures, heaven is not about grandpappy. Heaven is not about us. Heaven is not about our pleasure. Heaven is about Jesus. That's what heaven is about. We've got to get our head and our heart around that reality and recognize, recognize false doctrine, recognize ridiculousness, and know who the King of kings and the Lord of lords is. You ever go somewhere that's connected with God and it's all about you, place, or you're at the wrong God's house. There's only one true living God. One true, and his home, his residence is not about us. And made known at all costs. That's the great thing about heaven is we get to be with our Savior. We get eternity with him. I mean, we see the same thing in Isaiah, don't we? Isaiah chapter 6. He has this vision of God sitting on his throne. And it says the, 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 the trail of, or the, the tail of his robe is just, um, the train of his robe is just, it just fills up the place. And then it says that there's these seraphim that are flying around. It says with, with two, uh, two wings, they, they, they cover their eyes. With two, they cover their feet. And they're proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Isaiah, dude. Isaiah comes to the realization that he is unworthy. He says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. I mean, what a response. That's what happens when holiness shows up. That's what happens whenever a representation of God shows up. One of his messengers shows up. And that's what we see happening here in the scriptures. Anything else is not heaven. Anything else is not heaven. Back to our story, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Zacharias here, do not be afraid, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And I just want to point to that again. Love it. The fact that God hears our God is a God that hears us, that is aware of our need, aware of what's happening in our life. God hears and is aware. And God moves. And so, verse 14, he says, and you will have joy in God. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the He will also be filled with from his mother's room. And so who is this guy? This is John the Baptist that's being described. This is the front runner before Jesus. This is the one that's going to go before and tell about Jesus. Look at what verse 16 says. It says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. See, many had abandoned God. They believed all of this Messiah stuff was a, was a hoax or was a myth. I mean, you've got to think about it. Thousands of years. There's been a 400-year period where God hasn't even spoken. God hasn't even said a word. And they're sitting there waiting I mean, you know how antsy we get. Can you imagine what that would be like? Verse 17 goes on and says, And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years, Lord. I just love his wisdom here. I'm old, but my wife, well, she's well advanced. Love her. Fine, but she's well advanced. Men, just take note of that. Verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Wow, God hears and God responds. I mean, is that just not the theme in scripture? God hears the cries of his people. Then what does he do? He moves. He moves on their behalf for his glory, for our good. 
God moves. But behold, you will be mute, verse 20, and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you do not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. And so what we see, what we know is God has a day marked on the calendar. God has a day marked on the calendar and God has waited hundreds of years. Why? On purpose. Because he's got a plan and he is sovereign and he's in control of all things and he does and moves as he sees fit. He'd watched the people abandon him in droves. He'd watched people walk out and leave the faith. He'd, he'd seen that, not trust him and follow him. Yet there was this appointed time for these events to take place. He knew that it was coming. He hadn't stopped paying attention, being aware of what was going on. He hears the cries of his people from the generation before. He knew. But church, hear me. Even though God is so quiet, it's really important because he hadn't been inactive. His quiet is not equal to him not doing anything or being passive. Him being silent and not moving is not him being inactive. He hadn't lost interest. God intervened at the appointed time when he needed to. I just love that truth. I love that. Hear me. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. The problem is us. We wanted it two days ago. We wanted it yesterday. I'm going through this difficulty. Do you not see? You're not here. Why won't you do something? And God is doing something. God is moving. And we see that in this story. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what God's stirring in your heart or your soul or what you're battling. But please never forget that God is always aware. God is well aware. He is moving and doing even when we can't see. Even when we're unaware. God is working behind the scenes. Always. Verse 21, it says, and the people waited for Zacharias and they marveled that he, he lingered so long in the temple. They're, they're in awe at what's happening. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Verse 24, now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me. In the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So God was just gearing up. That's what God was doing. God was setting things into motion, planning things, putting things into place, gearing things up to do what he had always planned to do all along. Why? Because God is a God that keeps his promises. God is a God that we can trust. God is a God that is for us, whether it looks like it or whether it appears that he is silent or he's in the middle like crazy. God is a God that's for his people. He is gracious and he is loving. And God is gearing up and moving. And finally, the day had come when he put into action what he had planned to do. Way back when he said that promise to Abraham that every nation on earth would be blessed. And that's what God's doing. He's setting things up. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were the start of the greatest story ever told. They played a huge role in the greatest story that we will ever know, that we will ever be aware of. Do you know what I know? This is our story too. As men and women of God, this is our story. This is what we cling to. 
This, this is what we go back to. This is what we are reminded of, that our God is a faithful God, that our God is going to make a great nation out of his people, that God is going to move on his behalf for his glory and our good. These are things that we can look at and we can see and we can know and we can trust. Why? Because our God's spoken and our God hasn't relented and our God does what he says every time. Our God comes through in a way that, that, that doesn't make sense most of the time, but it's for his glory and for his honor. And so my question for you this morning is this, will you trust what God has said? Will you be obedient to him no matter what he asks you to do? No matter where he asks you to go, no matter what conversation he asks you to engage in? Will you believe or will you stop believing? Will you stick to your conviction of what he said in his word? Or do you just convince yourself that there's nothing to this, this little book that we have and fall into what the rest of the world around us says is true? Will you love those who are difficult to love? Will you press in and engage in relationship? Will you love your enemy? Will you love those who are different than you? Or do you just simply say the easiest thing to do is just disengage and have nothing to do with? There's great cost in following Jesus, but it's worth it. Will you fit in instead of standing out for the risk of, or for fear of the risk of being left out, persecuted? See, there's nothing wrong with questions. I think questions are a great thing. I think questions allows us to grow and allows us to press in and allows us to try to figure out all the more why our faith is relevant and real and, and how we follow it and, and how we've got to where we're at. And so the story of Christmas is just a reminder that our faith in God is not misplaced. That God keeps his promises. That God's gonna stay true to his word and do what he's always said and what he's always promised, even if it's difficult for us, even if it's hard for us, and even if it doesn't make sense to us, God is gonna do what he said he's always gonna do. So my question for you is this, do you have uncertainty? You to do something or leading you into something that you're, that you're uncertain about. That's okay. Quite all right to be at that place. Do you have questions about your faith? Hear me, this is the place you need to run to and ask. You're not going to be shamed for having questions or doubt about God. I mean, how crazy is that? Every single one of us, I would venture to say, in this room has got questions about the scriptures. There's things that we don't understand. There's things that we don't get. We don't just disengage and run off. No, we press in and we ask that. There's no shame in this room. There's no silly or goofy questions in this room. Horrific that we can't come to the very place where we have where we believe we can find answers and ask those questions. I mean, don't be afraid of that. Press into that. So, do you have uncertainty? Do you have questions? And see what God can do. All I ask you to do is run to His Word. You'll find answers there. You'll find answers there. I mean, enter into a relationship with God. Press in. All the more, stay faithful and watch God. Watch him be all you need in your life. He'll come through. His timing's not ours. He'll come through. He's working. He's doing an amazing thing. And what I know is this, you'll be rescued. I guarantee you. As a follower of Jesus, you'll be rescued. Now the thing is this, is where does rescue happen? This side of eternity or the other? That's what I love so much. Apostle Paul. The difficulties and the, the craziness of the day, everything that he's going through, none of that derailed him, none of that uh, uh, knocked him off, uh, off the path that he was headed on. Why? Because his focus was on Christ. His focus was on eternity. And church, that's where we've got. God will come through. Maybe this side of eternity, but I know for certain 
eternity with him, he rescues and he makes perfect all that's been done wrong. All that's been done wrong. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this time in your word, God, where we get to see the story starting to take shape and to take place. God, after 400 years of silence, you begin to speak. And you speak to this priest in the temple and you, you just rock his word of the world to the point where he can't even speak. His lack of faith is shown and he can't even speak. And God, in that, you're working and doing in something that would seem impossible. And God, you put the front runner in front of his wife. You put the front runner in his wife and he is birthed and, and becomes a great man that goes out and proclaims and, and makes, makes known of the coming Messiah. And so God, as we look at this story, as we think of this story, God, there's so many variables in this, so much stuff. I, I couldn't imagine being in that culture, in that context, in that day, knowing that God has made a promise thousands of years ago. God, for us to be sitting there waiting. And God, for us, we get to partake and we get to see the fruit of your promise. And it's your son, Jesus. So Father, I pray for the hearts in this room this morning. Whatever turmoil, whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, whatever questions may be present in this room this morning, Father, I pray that you invade that space and you make your presence and your will known all the more. Jesus, we thank you for being a God that hears, a God that pursues, and a God that cares. God, thank you. We pray. Amen. Matt's going to lead us this morning in a song. I'm going to ask if you'd stand. This altar, if you want to come pray, if you have more questions, I'll be here. I've got other men in this room that would love to talk to you about what he leads you to do in this moment, whatever he does. In this moment, you be obedient to his.